Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, I'm excited to welcome someone with a really unique perspective on what's been going on in our politics, Matthew Dowd, who's had a fascinating career on both sides of the aisle. We, we, uh, I both worked for Dick Gephardt uh, back in the day, and then uh, all the way to 2004, where I, I was working for Howard Dean uh, and running that crazy campaign, and, and you were a lead strategist for, for George W. Uh, re-election. You know, you've worked on campaigns at every level, and you founded Country Over Party, and you're on the leadership council at New Politics. And that's what just makes you, I think, a, a really particular good person to have on the show today, particularly with this new study from PRRI, the Public Re- Religion Research Institute, which is, you know, highly respected nonpartisan research group. And America, uh, we have a problem. Nearly one in five Americans believe each of the following three things, that the government and our institutions are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run a global child sex trafficking operation. That's, that's one in six believe that. There's a storm coming soon that will sweep away the elites in power and restore our rightful leaders. One in five believe that. And then even sort of more disturbing, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Again, that's between six, uh, you know, one in six Americans or one in five Americans. We have a party in America right now that will not purge these people. It, It can't, because if it does, it dies. At least I think a lot of them believe that, and that's why they they do the things they do and and vote the way they do and say the things they do. And yet, if they don't do something uh, to address this, the democracy and the nation uh, are at risk of of dying. It's sort of this just wow, all-alarm moment. And Matt, you know, one of the things I've admired about you throughout is just how centered, and I don't just mean centered politically, but just centered spiritually, morally, always questioning when you're, when one of the parties and both of them at times have gone off the rails and really wanted to get your perspective on on where we are and, and what all this means and how do we get out of it. Well, Joe, I've, uh, thank you for all that. And I've always been a big fan of yours uh, throughout. Uh, I actually thought we were going to be running against you all in 2004 at a, at certain points of that race. Um, so we would have faced off in that race together, but I've been a big fan. I mean, I, I think for any American, it does, whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent, you sh- we should be greatly concerned. I, I remember a few years ago, I said, oh, it was right before Donald Trump was inaugurated. I said that we were 
at a most perilous point since we were since 1860 or 1861. And everybody thought I was using, you know, overwrought language or whatever. And I think I turned out, it turns out to be true. Um, the difference is, which is really disturbing, is that we've never, we've always had these fringe elements, as you know, in our history, um, whether it was, you know, the George Wallace arising or the Know Nothing movement or various other elements that have risen, but none have ever taken over one of the two legacy parties. And that's where we are today. And in a country that is built on sort of a two-party system, where Republicans had so have significant advantage in ge geographic areas and, and because of ge gerrymandering and other, other things, it's terribly concerning. And then when you have leaders of that party who not only are not trying to stop it, but they're actually making it worse because they're playing right into it. Um, it's a it's a it's a very concerning time, I believe, for the world's longest running continuous democracy. Yeah, it's gerrymandering, and you know you, we've got 18 states that that elect 52 senators or so. I mean, you know, they, they control a lot of the majority of the Senate, and they're I mean, excuse me, states that represent 18 percent of the yeah. population. I should say uh, that elect 52 yeah. senators. And geographically, that fits, you know, where they get their votes. Uh, you have that gerrymandering and just the, the usual midterm toughness for, a, you know, for a party that just elected a president, you know, in terms of losing seats. It's a pretty perilous uh, position we're in. But, you know, also I saw you, you've said that they're like Bruce Willis in The Sixth <laughs> Sense, that they're dead and they don't know it. And you compared it uh, to Black Mold the other <laughs> night on the Lincoln Pro on Lincoln Project TV, which we're going to put a link to that in our show notes uh, so that people can can hear what you said there, too. But how do you so that it is like this mold that's growing and um, and they're not going to they're, they're just don't I, I don't know that they, uh, you know, they're dead and they don't know it. I think they're 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 desperate um, and realize, like I said, that they can't kill off these voters or they'll lose. And they're sort of they're held hostage by them in a, in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, people that I've known in elective office, senators that I thought, you know, would stand up to this. It's just scary how they're going along with it, uh, including a lot of Democrats, by the way, who just think, again, you know, Stuart Stevens said on the on the podcast that, we all lack the imagination to understand exactly, you know, sort of how far over the rails this could go. And so I think there are a lot of Democrats, you know, breathing a sigh of relief because of Biden and picking up the two Senate seats in Georgia, you know, that, that are, are acquiesced, you know, sort of not, not vigilant right now as we need to be. Well, I think that's the really good point. And, you know, one of the problems, and I, and I blame, I mean, obviously the Republicans, I mean, they... It's not only they're not dealing with it, but step by step by step by step, they've created this and um, and they've allowed it to go on for years and years and years. And then, of course, they're shocked that it culminated in, you know, Donald Trump. I wasn't shocked when it when Donald Trump got nominated. Um, I was I was a bit shocked when he won the general election because I thought there was enough Americans that would see through it. But I wasn't shocked that he won the nomination uh, in the process. It, it, and so. You know, and I noticed this when Sarah Palin was getting bigger crowds than John McCain in 2008. And I watched that happen and I was like, whoa, this is coming. And if she's getting more enthusiasm among the Republican base, 
they've allowed this to grow. And now there's certain of them, you know, Liz Cheney's and the Mitt Romney's and, and those people, the Adam Kinzinger of the world that think somehow they're going to like, you know, navigate it back. And it's, that's delusional. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Liz Cheney's favorability rating is significantly lower than Marjorie Taylor Greene's among Republicans. I mean, that's just, that's the Republican party today. And the Democrats, one, I'm going to say one, the Democrat, not all Democrats, some Democrats still think you can negotiate with black mold. You can't negotiate with black <laughs> mold. You got to get rid of it. Then what, are, what is the role of the Cheneys and Kinzinger? I mean, there was a, they're, they're definitely people that, that deserve to sort of, you know, I mean, they're trying somehow. It's not working. But what, what do you think their role in the party is? Or is there just no role? You, you just got to kill the black mold and, and they're not going to be able to do it on their own. So this is what I think. I think it's good that they've spoken out. But I, you know, our standard for courage in this country is a little bit low. The bar is low when you, the standard is now Joe Biden won. And that's like a courageous stand to say that Joe Biden won and don't lie. That's like somehow a standard, the same standard, you know, we might teach our five-year-olds uh, don't lie. And to me, they have to take it one more step. And so speaking out is good, but they are actually facilitating and enabling this party if they stay in it. And if the Republicans take over the Senate or in the House, it's people like Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney that will have enabled that to happen. So if they think the big lie is a problem, they're going to put leaders in charge that are sort of part of the big lie. I think they need to leave their caucus and they just need to stand up and say, I'm not going to be part of the caucus. I'm out of this. I'm not going to give you know Mitch McConnell a vote to be majority leader. And, and Liz Cheney saying, I'm not going to give Kevin McCarthy a vote to be speaker. Step back and say, I'm out of the caucus. I'm not going to do this. So to me, that would be a big first step. It sort of begin to take the power away from the party that their participation helps. So um, there's a, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful, Joe, for the long term, because I think demographic change, generational change for the long term, I'm highly concerned in the short term. Yeah, 2022 and 2024, uh, in a lot of ways could be more scary than even 2020 was. I agree with that completely. So, you know, we, you called Trump, as you said, way earlier than most, I think. Um, I think you called it back in August of 2015. I did. Uh, it, and one of the reasons you called it was because a bunch of the GOP candidates, you know, were thinking of the party as it was decades ago. Is there anyone now who gets it that's that you, you know that you can see emerging in 2024 and you know and, and waging a campaign to at least pull as much of the party back, or is that just not going to happen either in your in your view? So I think that sort of anti-Trump, anti-autocracy part of the Republican Party only represents about 20% of the party. So, I mean, you could run and, and do that and get 20% of the vote or whatever, 18% of the vote uh, in the Republican Party. I think what you're, what my expectation, Donald Trump's got an 82-16 favorable, unfavorable rating in the Republican Party right now. So he's going to, whether he runs or he lays his hands on somebody, that's the path for whoever gets the nomination at this point. I mean, absent some something happening that totally disrupts everything, it's not going to be a political candidate that does that. But um, it's going to be some Trump junior person, you know, a Ron DeSantis or uh, the governor from South Dakota or, or a Fox News personality or somebody like that that has been aligned with Trump. That's where the party is for now. So you're, you're talking me out of my one of my hopeful theories <laughs> that uh, 
so that someone could come in like Trump did in 2016, but in reverse. You know, he only won Iowa with 24% of the vote. Uh, you know, somebody runs against a whole field of Trump wannabes uh, and gets 24, 23% of the vote, wins Iowa, and then just like Trump did, but the, the reverse of it starts to starts to move a little bit in each state, you know, to 26. And then, you know, he never got to 50% uh, in any of those uh, uh, primaries, I, I don't I don't think. So uh, that's been a, a hopeful theory I've had, but I think you're talking me, me out of it, unfortunately. I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, could somebody, you know, get a, a portion of the vote in Iowa? Yeah, but probably now it's down to 16% or something. So, but I think as soon as it became a three-person race or something, it's the yeah. Trump voters are the dominant part of the party. They will dominate the scene. And I think it's only gotten worse since since 2016, since the primaries in 2016. And all of those people that were anti-Trump have all become Trump acolyte. I mean, just look what ha has happened to yeah. Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and all the Nikki Haley, all the others, they're all lined up with Trump. So, well, yeah, and you could you could see it in all these votes. I mean, where, you know, uh, 149 or 139 in the House vote to not certify. And then you get, you know, 159 voting to not not have a, a, a January 6th commission. I mean, it just seems that the, a lot more uh, members are, you know, sort of throwing in the towel and 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 voting the big lie. Yeah, well, it's unfortunate that they that political power is more important than the moral values or the integrity or our democracy. But that's, you know, it's an ends justifies the means approach, um, which Trump, Trump did in complete, you know, he was completely aligned with you do whatever it takes to get whatever you can. And that's where the party is um, it completely. So, I mean, I, at this point, my conclusion is to, to pray and push the Democrats to run the right campaigns to win. I think the only way out of this is the Democrats win in 2022, and then there be, keeps becoming bigger and bigger victories because 2020 wasn't enough, as you said. I mean, the Republicans actually did fairly well. They won seats in the House, and they didn't lose any seats in the state legislative bodies at, at, a, time when, yeah, at a time when Joe Biden was winning the popular vote by over 7 million votes. So they look at it, look at back at it and say, well, you know, there's no problem until they recognize a serious political problem, which the Democrats are going to have to make sure happens. That's the only way it'll change. And I think Democrats, um, there were some Senate candidates, as you know, in 2020 that I think weren't good Senate candidates. And uh, I, I thought the Democrats should have a 53 vote you know, margin in the Senate. They ended up at 50. Uh, and that was even with taking the two seats in Georgia. So the Democrats are going to have to run better campaigns. The country's the country is at stake, and the Democrats are the only party right now that can bring us back from the brink, in my view. So let's look at the the twenty twenty two races. Is there anybody that I, we know how you feel about JD Vance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's like he reminds me of. Uh, Mr. Haney in the Green Acres, where he's got whatever you want in his pickup truck, but you know you can't trust him. Do you think, I mean, could they run enough kind of off the rails Trump nominees for Senate in the House that that, that does give Democrats, if we, if we nominate the right 
candidates uh, yet an opening to peel off some of the more you know suburban Republican women, younger Republicans, college educated, you know, pull, pull in some of these voters that that clearly aren't you know so that that twenty percent that you say you know isn't for uh, the direction the party's headed in. Do you think they could nominate? I mean, is that what we kind of need to be rooting for? Is that they nominate? You know, I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene's going to go, but you know, people like that 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 win those nominations, and then we and we have, there's a chance Democrats can can pick up some seats we wouldn't ordinarily be able to 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 win in the Senate or the House. Yeah, I, I think absolutely that's part of it, and I think they will nominate. And obviously, it depends, as you know, depends on the state, it depends on the jurisdiction it's in, and how much of a chance you have, and what's the window of opportunity. So definitely, I think that's a chance. But I also think the Democrats have to recognize something when they nominate candidates, and I know you know this is I believe that you can run and win on in, in, in swing and in red areas on progressive issues, but you have to be culturally aligned with the constituency. And by culturally aligned, they have to feel like you're one of them, that you're like them. Um, and that you, know, you can run on gun reform if they believe, oh yeah, this guy hunts or this woman does this. And, and I think Democrats have to recognize that the cultural alignment is as or more important than policy alignment. And you can run on raising the minimum wage, you can run on expanding healthcare, you can run on climate change, you can run on all of the sort of progressive issues, you can run on gun reform, but Democrats have to nominate candidates that voters feel are culturally aligned with them. Right, and I think also they, Democrats have a tendency to run people that, that are almost pushing those voters away from them. <laughs> Because of their language and, the, and actually just language and tone, sometimes it's just too aggressively negative at, at pushing voters. We could get uh, if we just uh, more reasonable tone and and align with them more. We're more attuned to aligning uh, culturally. That was certainly the case in 2017 with Doug Jones in Alabama yep. in that special. Uh, he was somebody who hunted, you know, and 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 could. I mean, he really was. Uh, somebody who was trying to find common ground, I think, you know, did it in a, in a tone that that worked. And then we got into the presidential year with with Trump really banging the polarizing drum, and we just could not uh, pull the, some of those same voters. We couldn't. We had no way to. You'd get in the focus groups, and they they would just spit. You know, he's a Democrat, a Satan worshiping Democrat, and you couldn't overcome it. Be, part of that because of the tone of other Democrats that were you know out there, you know, r running more sort of in your face campaigns and that's yeah, so that I, the party needs to mature on those grounds as well. They also, I have, they have to recapture one part of that is they have to recapture the language of faith. I think Democrats have to do a much better job about talking to voters in a language of faith. And that's not off. That doesn't have to be off putting to people that, you know, don't believe in God or all that, but there is, I mean, Bill Clinton, was you know an expert about talking in a language of faith. Uh, Martin Luther King was an expert about talking in a language of faith. Abraham Lincoln was an expert in talking in a language of faith. And that's not to say a sort of religious push, but being able to talk and use the language of faith on democratic issues because it's available, completely available about what do we do to the least of our brothers and sisters, taking care of the vulnerable, protecting the earth, all of those things can be discussed in a language of faith that I think voters 
from that perspective would be like, oh, this is, you know, this is not the godless, quote, Democratic Party or whatever. Um, and you can do it in a way that doesn't push off, you know, voters that are atheists or voters that are agnostics. But I think they need to recapture and re re-engage a language of faith. You know, that's one of the things I think that Joe Biden actually does yep. pretty well. I mean, the, the Democrats could take, you know, follow his lead in the way he, you know, his empathy, his, the way he, he's not afraid to to put his faith out there, uh, goes to church every Sunday. I mean, he, I'm not talking about doing the, the church going if that's not what you do, but he clearly is in tune, I think. Um, you know, his, his faith is important to him, and I think that really comes through to voters in a way that, that makes it very tough, or a lot tougher, to, to stick the Satan-worshipping <laughs> um, pedophile attacks on yes. him. You know, where, where it, 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 they, they're clearly going to run, run that, that theme over and over, over again. Is there anybody in 2022 that you think we, you know, stands out as someone we should be, you know, keep our eye on, or is it just too early? Um, I mean, it's probably too early. I mean, I I think one of the great things about politics is that that there's somebody always emerges as like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that person. Some candidate emerges that's like, wow, they captured this. They you know they were able to win in an area. I mean, I like the campaign that Ryan is running in Ohio. I think he's like, he, if anybody can win Ohio, in my view, it's somebody like Ryan and how he talks and where he comes from um, in that race in Ohio. Uh, as Ohio is trending more Republican, it's, it's one of those races. I think somebody like Nikki Freed or even Val Demings in Florida. I mean, there's a number of candidates that, that we won't know until they're tested in the fire and how they emerge and what, what they do when it, when it comes down to it. But I think there's a lot of hope out there for those candidates. I'm really interested in places that are leaning red um, to see if we if the Democrats can move the leaning red and start opening up new avenues of winning. And I think where I sit right now, Texas is one of those states that as soon as Texas, this wise, I think Texas is key to where the country is. As soon as Texas turns purple. The, the, it's a whole new ball game. It's a completely new yeah. ball game. So you you mentioned Tim Ryan. I want to just turn uh, a second to another Ryan, Paul Ryan, and uh, uh, your reaction to to a speech he 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 just gave. What what is going on with this guy? Paul Ryan is operating, who still I think is paid and sits on the Fox News Fox board, which I also think like if you want to you want to confront a problem. I mean, Fox News is one of the ones propping up Donald Trump and all the crazy stuff they're saying, and he sits there. So if you want to do something, you, get, you ought to do something about Fox News. But he's still one where like, oh, we, we need to be the party of Reagan, and that's where we are, and that's the Republicans. And well, Reagan, if Reagan got in front of the audience of Republicans today, he'd be booed. Ronald Reagan would be booed today. Um, George, they don't like George W. Bush. They don't like George Herbert Walker Bush. They definitely don't like Mitt Romney. They don't, you know, they wouldn't like Bob Dole. They wouldn't like it. They definitely wouldn't like Eisenhower. Um, so, you know, I don't know what party he's talking about. Like he, he, he's in whatever he's in, whatever lunches he's in with people. It's not the party that exists today. So he's still, you know, pushing this idea that there's a civil war in the Republican Party and they need to battle for it. The civil war is over. The civil war in the Republican Party is over and the South won. That civil war in the Republican Party. And so Paul Ryan is 
I think makes it worse by saying that because he's not facing reality. So, you know, I wanted to get a little bit into your background. I mean, you've done everything from Dick Dick Gephardt to to George Bush. Uh, You're now, I believe, one of the leading independent voices that's been raising, you know, the alarm about Trumpism and the GOP. How did you get started and how has your thinking about, you know, which party you're in or which party, you know, how's it evolved over over time? Oh, that's a great, great, so great question. So I got interested in politics um, as a 12 year old watching Watergate hearings. Um, and when that came on, we were on summer vacation. I lived in Michigan. We went up to one of the Great Lakes. I was on summer vacation. I have 10 brothers and sisters. They were all about playing in the water on Lake Michigan. And I was for five days straight, watched the Watergate hearings. And I was like, this is what I want to do in some way. I want to get involved in politics. And ever since then, I volunteered on campaigns and then I worked and then I came to Texas and I worked for the Texas Democratic Party. And then I worked for Lloyd Benson, who was a Democratic Senator. Well, Bob Bullock, who was the Lieutenant Governor, which for your listeners who don't know, the Lieutenant Governor in Texas is one of the more powerful offices because of what it can do. Um, I was actually the last person to run a campaign in Texas where a Democrat won in 1994 on a high profile race in in Texas was the last one. And then I met Bush in that time, got out of politics, started a company and met Bush. And then I decided to leave the company, sell my share of the company back. I was going to teach or do something. And then Bush called me up. And I like what Bush had done in Texas. And he worked with a Democratic speaker and a Democratic lieutenant Mm -hmm. governor, my friend. And he asked me if I'd work on his campaign. So I did. And I did that for five years, got disillusioned at the end of it. When I was done, broke, had a very public break with President Bush over the war and over the inability to bring the country together in ways that I thought we could. Um, Worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then after that, decided. And so I did Democratic campaigns. Most of my life did work for Bush and Schwarzenegger and then decided I was an independent. I was done. Um, Today, I would say I would have a hard time. I mean, unless there was something, somebody out of somebody completely out of the blue, I would have a hard time voting for any Republican today um, because I think the whole their whole the whole party is rot. Um, Even somebody good at county commissioner or something, it's it's all part of a bad system right now. Um, So I am uh, as I'm an independent today, but I would say I I would do and hope and try to help whatever Democrats can win. Because as I said earlier, Joe, I think the country's democracy is at stake. And I think the only path forward, at least right now in the short term, is through the Democratic Party. You know, Matthew, one of the things that I always wondered about, uh, I never quite got this, but, you know, I know Democrats uh, still have problems with with, uh, George W. Bush. But when you look at from a Republican perspective, there were sort of two ways to go on immigration. He sort of had his his view and compassionate conservatism and and really kind of building a lot of bridges with the Hispanic community. At the same time, you had Pete Wilson yep. in California, who was just harsh, you know, punishing programs on on immigration. In Texas, you look at how dominant the Republican Party has been uh, in California. That was the end. Uh, it just it drove too many people away from the GOP. And and, it, you know, it's basically been, you know, you, know, you can't get the you, a nomination. Republican nomination statewide in California isn't isn't worth a whole lot. You're not going to win. And you would think a party that, you, you know, would choose 
it's almost like they chose the wrong. I mean, they, okay, we saw what happened in California. We're gonna. That's the way we're gonna go, uh, and it's just gotten gotten worse. How did that happen? Do you think? I mean, is there an explanation, or is it just just the path of the party over the South winning all those things and just taking control? Well, you know, I, I think George W. Bush was sort of. Um, you know, it's funny. I, uh, somebody else said this or wrote a book that had this title, was which is George W. Bush the last Republican president which I think is probably true. The last Republican president yeah. in the way we knew what Republicans were. Uh, and, you know, he, he, it wasn't just something politically, it was something, you know, he grew up in uh, Midland uh, where there's a lot of a large Hispanic population. He, he spoke Spanish, he worked with them. So it was something real and in, 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 in tune with them. He never liked the anti-immigration stuff. Um, he, you know, had to, he, had to deal with that whole part of his party and sort of managed his way through of them was a growing concern for him, the anti-immigrant stuff, but he was able to get through it, but no more. I mean, the Stephen Miller approach to immigration is the mainstream part of the Republican party today. So, you know, if it was today, I mean, maybe Pete Wilson recognized that among the Republicans, it was a hot button issue and that he could push. Uh, way too early. Um, but it's, you know, Donald, I, I always have said Donald Trump's sort of, I know everybody criticized him or part of the the main, mainstream media criticized him, but his whole thing about Mexican rapists and all that, I watched that and I was like, well, this is bad from a moral standpoint and from a whole of a country standpoint. But I thought that's going to help him in the Republican Party um, as it existed. So, I mean, George Buddy, W. Bush was the last of the of of the ones that that was able to make that argument, I think he one of the breaks I had after the after the reelect, I'll I'll tell I'll tell y'all, was he was going to push after the election. I was pushing that he deal with immigration reform right after two thousand and four. That's what we should do. That was important. We could get it done. He had political capital, and others pushed privatizing Social Security. I lost that fight internally. Uh, which I think was a huge mistake to go after Social Security and what they did. And it turned out to be a huge mistake in 2006 and 2008. He should have done immigration reform. I, I think had he done, I've always thought that if he'd done immigration reform, he would have transformed the Republican Party. I mean, the, the, the demographics of yep. the party would be so much different today. Um, and he would have been a hero yep. in, in the Hispanic community and, that, and the connection he had with them. Um, and the country would be in a far better place. Absolutely. Today, uh, had he been, had he done that. But I got, why I still have you though, I, I got to ask one question about 2004. You, you mentioned that you, you thought you'd be running, you might be running against Dean in, in 2004. Who, who was the candidate that you were most worried about, uh, you know, on the, on the democratic side, as you were watching the, the, you know, before we hit the skids, were you worried about Dean at all or, uh, you know, being the nominee so or, or was there someone we else? We had a various in sort of small group meetings of four or five of us, the key people. And we all sort of weighed in and we obviously did reach research on everyone. The one that I feared the most before, obviously you said you hit the, but what I feared the most was Dean because I thought Dean could make a progressive argument uh, from a, even though it was Vermont, he sort of knew the sort of rural sort of voters, small town voters. I thought he would be the hardest candidate as a governor uh, to beat. I thought the easiest, the candidate that I wanted to run against was John Kerry. Um, that's the one I wanted to run against because I thought this guy is, 
he can't he can't help himself but speak in Senate language, which is a total disconnect from voters. He comes across as sort of elitist and effete. He did. I mean, I I have a lot of uh, I, I John Kerry. I think has done great public service in the country, and I think what he's doing on climate change is absolutely needed. But as a candidate for president of the United States at the time, that's the one I wanted to run against, and John Dean was the one I didn't want to run against. So the Democrats helped us <laughs> helped helped what I thought they were. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matthew, for being here today. You can find him on Twitter at Matthew J. Dowd, and you can buy his book, A New Way. I highly recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. We'll include the link in our show notes and also a couple of links to the Black Mode Mold in it article and, a, and that uh, LPTV uh, show that he, 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 he was just on, um, and also the PRRI study uh, that we talked about. Um, as usual, if you have a race you want us to spotlight or a question, please submit it on iTunes in the reviews. Give us a rating or email us at thattrippyshow at gmail.com. See you next Friday. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.